If you have your scriptures this morning, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's read or put ourselves in remembrance of uh, verses 10 and on, and then we'll begin after we pray. Again, I thank you for being here this morning. You blessed me. Verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we Christians, we Christians do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, put on having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the church, all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to this text again this morning, I do so with great anticipation that you will feed us from your word, that through the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, that you will overcome even my simple words and speak directly to each heart here. I'm never, ever underestimate or not amazed at the way people hear sermons and the preaching of your word and how each one of them can apply to their own hearts and hear what their heart needs to hear this day. You're able to do that, Father. I'm not, and I trust in you and have faith that the work of the Spirit will be among us this day in the hearts of your people so that the word that you've given us can go out, the word of God to the people of God, so that they can do the will of God and bring glory to you, almighty God. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning again. We're working through this passage in Ephesians 6 through 10, and, and we're focusing this morning on one little section of it. But to put you in remembrance of what we had done last week, it's important for, for me to do that. Um, we took these seven instruments that the Christian has. I even brought my notes from last week back, so if you'd like, we can... No, we won't do that. But I wanted to, get, to put you in remembrance. I won't put you through any punishment this morning, I promise. I wanted to put you in remembrance because I think this is such a keen way that the Holy Spirit is led to see the uh, seven uh, tools, the seven things that God has given the Christian to live the Christian life. Paul is talking about the Christian life in verses or in chapters four, five, and six. He begins to talk about the church, how important it is that we're unified uh, and that we live as one people uh, because of the truth, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. There's one baptism, one church, right? And then he goes into the fact that we're to be people different from the world. We're to be, set, we're to be pe pe those people who 
trust in the Word of God in such a way and understand it in such a way that we can be separate. We're not tossed to and fro on every wind of doctrine, right? Do you remember those words there in uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians? But we're to focus on the Word of God. We're to talk to one another and sing to one another in spiritual hymns and songs, and we're to practice the one another, as I said that in the opening now, uh, but the Spirit has empowered each one of us with gifts so that we can love on each one another here at the church, and God has built the body here at Park Bible Baptist Church exactly what it needs to be, and as he grows our ministry, he grows that body and gives us people with other gifts that we need to do the work that he's called us to do. And then he moves to the point where um, he talks about how husbands should love their wives and wives should submit to their husbands. And that's tough stuff in our culture today. It's not easy to live that way because the whole world wants to make fun of that. They call it old-fashioned. They, uh, uh, they call it a lot of things that I can't say in church. But uh, it's marriage, and it's what God intended for the male and female. And what God intended, as you know me, I always connect this to the larger picture. And that larger picture is be fruitful, multiply, fill, and subdue the earth and have dominion over it. So the husband and wife are to be fruitful, multiply, and fill. And in that fruitfulness, they're to have children. And in that fruitfulness, they're to love one another. And in that fruitfulness, they're to build a relationship that's exemplary to the whole world of the love that God has for us and how the gospel works. That we're not perfect people, but God has called us to be obedient to his word and to live as husband and wife, understanding towards our wife and loving our wives as Christ loved the church and our wife submitting and doing the work that God had called her to do as the wife. And because of that, we find uh, persecution in our culture today. And it's not easy. Satan wants to tell us that that's not the way to live. And then he talks about, uh, he moves from that to uh, the employee, which we didn't actually spend a lot of time in. There's the slave, as he puts it here. How we're to be good workers, good and obedient, because our true master is God, right? And then he speaks uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 uh, uh, about putting on the whole armor of God. He speaks also about children obeying your parents. And the way that we can do that, he finishes this whole book when he says in verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and put on the strength of his might. When we put on the whole armor of God, we are putting on the strength of God's might. We are putting on the works of Christ. We are putting on what God has given us to be successful in what he has called us to do. And I think the best way for me to see this was we personified it. Uh, the seven things are on the screen there behind you, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel readiness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, and the prayer in the spirit. And we looked at those last week, we personified them, and we're going to do that further this week. The belt of truth is a man who knows what's right, a Christian who knows what's right. The breastplate of a righteousness is a Christian who does what is right, the gospel of uh, the readiness of the gospel is a Christian who teaches what is right. And the shield of faith gives us the ability to go out and live in this world in faith. And the helmet of salvation is just that helmet that tells us that we know death is victory if it comes to that level of persecution. That our God is sovereign and every one of our days are numbered. And everything that comes to us, he promises, Romans 8:28 that he will work out to our good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And then we have the sword of the spirit so that we can defeat all the lies of the enemy. And this is an offensive weapon because when we go out and we defeat the lies of the enemy, not only are we 
we are bringing joy into our own heart and ability to enjoy our own lives, but we're helping other people. We're loving our neighbor well when we help them with the truth, and that's where we're going this morning. And then we pray in the Spirit for the church and for the work of God to be accomplished in everything that God's called us to do. The belt of truth, a man who knows what is right, lives what is right, preaches what is right, fearlessly goes out in faith, knowing that persecution will come in that type of life, whether it's loving his wife or teaching his children to obey, and then uses the sword of spirit to bring that truth, the word of God to bear, and then the prayer that for the whole church, that the whole church would go forward and God's work would go forward. So we look at the first one of those this morning, and I'm not going to spend time, I don't think, on each one of them, but this belt of truth is the first one for a reason. Because we live in an anxiety-driven culture that is an emotional wreck. Don't we? Or is it just my house? (laughs) No, it's not my house, right? I want my house to be just the opposite. But we live in a culture that is driven by anxiety and that is an emotional wreck. We're popping more pills today than we ever have. We've got more psychotropics trying to help. Uh, You know, we took away cigarettes because cigarettes were good for anxiety, and now we replaced it with alcohol and and with uh, even fentanyl. I mean, fentanyl is an out-of-control problem, and and the anxiety and the angst and the emotional outburst in our society just lead to attention. You're afraid, you wonder when it's all going to blow up, right? And we're coming to one of those pinch points at the election this fall. But our culture is sick. That is to say that they bought the lie of Satan. So what does our culture need? What is a culture who lives in anxiety, is driven by an emotional surge that kind of gets so involved in its own self that it can't see something bigger than itself? What does a society like that need? What does a culture like that need? It needs the same thing that we need, beloved, Jesus. This culture needs Jesus. We can say that, right? You've heard me say it. It's either Christ or chaos. And we see the chaos and we know that Christ is the answer. And who brings Jesus to this culture? Yeah, the church, you're right. Us. We're the church. The church, the culture's out of control. It needs Jesus. So it needs a strong church that's ready with truth, righteousness, readiness. Do you see that now? You see how important these things are, not only so that we can live our life, but in living our life that we can become the church that we can be to minister Jesus to the hurting world around us. Beloved, it is imperative for you to think sober-mindedly about the things of today. Because the church, listen, this is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, because the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. The culture's not going to find truth. They can't go to the government and get it. They're not getting it in the public schools. They're not getting it on social media. It's not out there to have unless it's stored in the pillar and the ground of truth, and that is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's imperative that we as Christians become sober-minded about what we see around us so that we can know truth, love truth, and minister truth. To live like Jesus lived, to preach Jesus, because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever comes to me, I will not cast him out, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you. You are, right. Our culture needs freedom more than it's ever needed freedom before, and it's life. 
And we need that freedom too. So you see how it builds. We live in an anxiety-driven culture. And that culture needs Jesus. So it's imperative that we're sober-minded so that we can think above and beyond all the mess and drama that's going on today so that we can minister truth and love truth to the culture around us. So that we can be the church, beloved. So it all begins with the first weapon that God has given us, uh, the first weapon that God has given us to live our lives that he's called us to live, and that is to be the husband, to be the child, to, to be the worker, but also to be the church, because it's when we deal with this individually in our hearts that we come together corporately to have an impact on the world around us. So we have to destroy the lives of Satan. We talked about Satan last week, and we spent some time there. C.S. Lewis says this, uh, the greater the good, the greater the evil when it's perverted by sin. Satan was the greatest angel that was ever created. Scripture tells us that. But he's also the greatest evil that's ever existed. And that's how it works in our culture. That's how it works. The greater the good of the marriage, the more it's perverted, and the greater the evil that comes in when we don't do it according to Scripture. So we need to understand lies, and we need to understand the lies of the enemy, and the lies of the culture is caught in because that's what they're caught in. Remember, the God of this world has blinded their minds so that they can't see the light of the glorious gospel. We were like that once, and as people like that, we've may have been made by the gospel soft to that. We want to love them well. I had a lady ask me this week about uh, the guy that always stands on the corner with cardboard sign and says, hand me money. How do I handle that? How do I process it? And that's just indicative of this thing that we're caught in. Do I get caught up in the minutia of the moment? And uh, my heart has been softened to his struggle indeed, but it's given him money the right thing to do. And we have to answer those things because when it becomes about larger things like gay marriage or LGBTQ weddings or feminism, right? All these things that we're, we're struggling with that, that it goes against the word of God. We have to be refined in the truth. We have to know what we believe and are able to minister that belief to a hurting culture so that they can come out. So to do that, beloved, we need to understand what a lie is. And they're all the same. There's a general pattern here. And I'm going to show you what a lie is. I'm going to show you that every lie has an emotional hook. And it can grab anybody and carry them off into anxiety. Okay? You want to do that this morning? Or do you want to go home? home. <laughs> Let's do that. Every lie that is ever told is built upon an emotional hook. That emotional hook leads to a false dichotomy that creates anxiety in your life. That is that in the presentation uh, of the lie, the false dichotomy sets forth an emotional reaction and it builds to angst. Now I know that sounds really technical, but let me break it down for you. Because what happens in every lie, it sets forth a dilemma. And you know what a dilemma is, right? A dilemma is a forced choice between two erroneously limited choices. Stick with me here. We're going somewhere. A dilemma is something that's set up as true, but it limits your choices. And the choices you have become erroneous. That's the emotional hook. It sets you on an emotional path saying, I've got to choose one of the two. And when you've been emotionally hooked, that anxiety starts to build. Let me explain it. Because we can explain it with the Garden of Eden. 
the Garden of Eden, and then we're going to look at what causes that chaos in our world today because it's exactly the same. But the Garden of Eden was an emotional argument that the, the master manipulator, who is Satan, played out in front of our first parents, Adam and Eve. That's all it was. It was a false dilemma that was presented to Eve and her emotional reaction to that false dilemma that led to the anxiety of sin and death in this world today. You see, the false dilemma was presented. That's not being able to eat from the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. How come you can't eat from that tree? It, 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 it was a false dilemma because they could eat from every tree in the garden, and every tree of the garden was satisfying them. But what Satan did was present a false dilemma, and he said, the reason, you know, there must be some reason that God's not letting you eat of that tree. And that's where the emotional hook is set, because why would God be bad to me? Why would God not give me everything that I need? Do you see it happening? The emotional hook is in, and now anxiety starts to build, because what should I do? I've got to make a choice. Uh, the tree, the fruit looks good. The fruit it seems to be good for food. I'm going to eat of that tree, and then you're hooked, and anxiety of sin comes in. Do you see that? Do you see how it works? Every lie works like that. A false dilemma is presented by Satan and his minions, this demon horde that Paul's talking about, the ones that we wrestle against, because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but he is using that lie to emotionally hook you and carry you off into anxiety and worry. And in anxiety and worry, as a Christian, that is sin for you. You lose vision of the bigger picture, and that is God's glory and joy and life in Jesus Christ. Her anxiety was elevated. Why would God not let me eat of the tree? It looks good. It must be good. I'm going to eat of it. It'll be what I need to make me happy. And the lie is, surely you won't die. The false dilemma was that it was limited between two false choices, and the anxiety is I can't be happy until that. You know, a simpler illustration of this is an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Right? That's not true. That's a lie. Well, if it's not a lie, the corollary is that if I don't eat an apple a day, I'm going to get sick. How many of y'all eat an apple a day? Hmm? See how it works? The false dilemma is set up. The emotional hook's in. Oh, I don't do that. i got to do that. And the anxiety, oh, man, I might get sick if I don't take care of my... You laugh at that, but how many of us worry about not eating right, right? And this is exactly what I'm talking about. Our culture just focuses on these lies and they're drugged down into that and it's the emotional hook that emotional hook is the sabotage of the enemy it keeps people in a state of anxiety and it's used by people to draw you into that same anxiety and it drives our culture it's called emotional bondage right it's uh it's um the squeaky or loudest wheel gets the oil and whenever you're only worried about the squeakiest wheel, that's all you'll ever worry about because you're worried about the next squeaky wheel. And as a leader, as a Christian, as somebody that has to minister truth, if you don't know the truth of those situations so that you can rise above it, you'll be in bondage with them. You can get drawn in, and you can't help yourself. And in, when you're drawn into this position, whenever you're drawn into the chaos, the anxiety, the angst, you're so busy with that angst, you cannot properly love your neighbor. How's that? Starting to get there now. He's starting to figure out Satan's, oh, he's good. He's the master sabotager. He's the, 
master, it says he's the most serpent beast, uh, most wise beast of the field, most crafty beast of the field. I remember this when I was 12 years old. We lived just down the road from my aunt and uncle, and they were going through a divorce. And even at 12 years old, my grandma used to remind me, this is how she knew I was going to be a pastor someday. I would look at that, and I would think, there's so, I could hear them arguing. That's how close we lived, right? You know, it's like living in town almost. Uh, I could hear, and it seemed like they argued, and this chaos that they were in went on for a year before they finally separated. And, you know, because they were my aunt and uncle, they were at every Christmas, every birthday, everything, you know, and it was always this, everybody was walking on pins and needles because they're going through a divorce and arguing and everybody doesn't know what to say and nobody knows what to do and everybody's waiting for the domino to fall and the chaos to rise and everybody goes, ah, it was just the unwritten rule in a room. You know that room, right? You've, some of you have been in that room. You grew up in a house like that and you've got to leave that room, beloved. Because what I understood, even at that young age, is that they were just getting the life sucked out of them. They couldn't see beyond what they were going through. And that's where Satan wants you. Down deep in the chaos and unable to help those who are suffering with these things. He loves that. Edwin Freeman wrote a book it's called A Failure of Nerve, and it's a leadership book. But he speaks of a metaphor of a person leaving behind this emotional anxiety-driven garbage that we often put ourselves through. And when he speaks about that, he says, once you know the truth or begin to get a taste for the truth or begin to see that you've been trapped, that this emotional hook has grabbed you and pulled you down into this situation, you get a little taste of the truth, you begin to see, like I said, the emotional manipulation, and you can see past it far enough to see that if you could just get away from it, you could break free from it, that you could be free, and that is that you could be free from all that it pulls you into. And he described that as two high plateaus, and in between the two high plateaus was a bridge. And he said, on one plateau is where you were and the emotional chaos and the anxiety and the angst and believing the lies and being drawn down into it. On the other side was the truth and the freedom that you could see, so you began to walk across the bridge to the truth and the freedom. And you got halfway across that bridge, and you met an old friend. And that old friend began to talk to you and tell you about his life. And here come one of those stories. Here come one of those stories that just presents a false dichotomy, a false dilemma. And as he spoke about his life, you can feel yourself getting dragged down. And by the way, while he was talking to you, you noticed that he had a big, heavy, thick rope tied around his waist, just under his arms. And the other end of the rope was coiled up in his hand. And in the other hand, he had the end of the rope. And as he spoke the story, he handed you the end of the rope. And he began to tell you his sob story about how life was going. He didn't say anything about his bad choices or anything like that because he wanted to pull you in emotionally. And as he continued to tell you the story, you looked out and you saw truth. And you looked back and saw you were where you were. And when you turned around and looked at your friend, you saw him climbing up on the side of the bridge. And as he began to jump over, he handed you the end of that rope and said, hold on. Because that's what culture is doing to a lot of people. This is why truth is so very important, beloved. Because the culture has handed you the end of the rope and said, hold on. So what do you do? You're hooked. You've been emotionally sabotaged. You let go and he plummets to his death. What do you do? 
You know, some people would say, well, just let go of the rope. Problem solved, right? But doggone it, the gospel has made us tenderhearted. Some people would say, not my monkeys, not my circus. Let him go. <laughs> but we can't say that as Christians. Because as a Christian, you need to love your neighbor. The gospel has made you care. It's made you sensitive to these things. What do you do? You let him plummet to his death? No, you don't do that. But do you let him pull you overboard with you? No. Take the end of that rope and tie it to something solid. Amen? What is that solid stay for every one of us as a Christian? It's Jesus Christ. It's the truth of Jesus Christ. They need the truth about their lives. We need the truth about our lives. You quickly tie it off onto something solid, the truth, and the one who is truth. So as Christians, what I'm saying, we must be able to cut through the anxiety and the emotional garbage this culture spews and speaks and speak the truth to it in love. You cannot be shallow on the truth and expect to see change in the culture. You cannot dilute truth and make it more acceptable to those who've been manipulated by Satan because whenever you dilute truth, you're diluting or dumbing down the one who is true. They need Jesus. They need his truth. And they will not be saved if you don't give them the truth of the gospel and who Jesus is because a Jesus that has been dumbed down can't save. He will not save. They need Jesus Christ so that they can know the one who is the way, the truth, and the life and how to get to God through him. They need Jesus because he is the one who sets you free and you will be free indeed. So Ephesians 6 says this in verse 13. Do you see it there in your scriptures in front of you? It says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, verse 14, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. That belt of truth is so important. Now, it's not necessarily talking about the sword of the Spirit and, the, and doctrinal truth as much as it is about truth that we need as Christians to live that comes from that doctrinal truth in this culture so that we can be the church that God's called us to be. You see, because if we get inwardly focused, if we can only focus on the emotion and the anxiety with everybody else, we become no help to them. So this passage in verse 14 says, fastened on the belt of truth. In the old King James, I like it better, it says, gird up your loins. Gird up your loins. And when it says gird up your loins, it's talking about your structure, the girders of your loins. This is what girds you. This is your foundation. This is the truth. Truth is the foundation of the Christian life. And a Christian must be able to distinguish the work of Satan before the emotional hook is set and the guy jumps off handing you the end of the rope because if you can't cut free from the emotion you're going to let go of the end of the rope beloved you've got to tie that rope off in Jesus before he jumps the emotional hook is set it's oftentimes too late before the false dilemma is believed because the Christian the Christian a Christian cannot choose what is false because when he does, he or she has sinned. Paul warns about this. Just turn one book over to Philippians. In my Bible, it's just two pages towards the back. 
The book of Philippians chapter 4. Chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. Actually, verse 6 is what I want. Let's start there, verses 6 and 7. You see what Paul says? Do not be anxious about anything. Now, he's speaking this to Christians. They just had some argument there inside the church. Folks were in angst and in anxious. And, beloved, let me tell you what, if there's any one thing that will ruin the church, it's people acting in this anxious, emotional way, and it will be the center of all the attention and it will sabotage the work of the church. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Let me tell you something. That, in first blush, when you read that, it's like, okay, I'll try real hard not to be anxious. But that is an imperative in the, in the present tense, active present tense of the verb form, and it's an imperative. So what that means in the Greek is this is a command from God. Do not be anxious about anything. How many times do you break that command? We all do, don't we? And why do we get anxious? It's because we focus on the lies. It's because we focus on the drama. It's because we focus on this world. And when we focus on this world, we're not focusing on the word. If we become a church who reacts to the word and not the world, we would be fine. We would be fastened tight with the belt of truth and ready to give it whenever anybody required it and stand for it, right? So put away anxiousness don't get caught up in it but by everything Paul says by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and let the peace of God listen to me the peace of God what is that is that just some ethereal thing that floats around that you grab no it's standing on the promises of God standing standing right standing on the promises of God my yeah amen That's where the peace comes from because we know we can't do it. It's the truth of God that we stand on and that truth will carry us through. In fact, it sets us free. It surpasses our understanding. Do you see that there? And it not only surpasses our understanding, but it will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It will not allow the emotional hook to set in the heart of the Christian and it will not allow us to believe the false dilemma because we will be fit with what is needed to be broken free of the society's ills, the emotional uh, drama and angst that we see all around us. To be anxious is not to be in control of your passions. I told you when we started that the the culture is out of control. Christians need to be in control. And the Bible calls that something. In fact, it calls anxiety and, and, and emotion passions. It tells us to be in control of our passions. And the Bible has one word for that. It's called sober-mindedness. We're to be sober-minded. And what does that mean? Well, actually, when you take it as being sober-minded about passions in this world, it means exactly what we're talking about. We're to ground ourselves in what? The truth of God and the promises of God so that we can deliver that truth of God not only to our own hearts but be sober-minded and stable and steady and steadfast. How about all those words? Is that what you want to be? That you'll be filled with fortitude. Remember what God told Joshua? Go, I'll be with you. You believed everything that I've told you. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. Go. 
and you will be victorious. We're to be steadfast, stable, and to be sober-minded. That means we're to be self-controlled, sane, sensible. We're not to get involved and out of control in what the world gets involved and out of control in. To think with truth, to remove the passions, the emotional hook, to think soberly, to apply biblical truth to life and overcome the lies of the enemy. Romans 12.3 says this, For by the grace that is given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. And I think Paul's warning us there. When we get in situations, and I've seen it happen with Alistair Begg just a few a month ago now. He got into a situation with a grandmother that asked, can I go to my grandson's wedding? It's an LBGTQ wedding. And Alistair said, yes, indeed. I know you love your grandson. Go and take a gift. We can't be that. I know everything about it seems right and loving, but it's all opposed to God. Our culture needs that truth. It is being emotionally sabotaged, and as the church, beloved, we need to be that strength, that truth. Turn with me in the book of John, just a few more verses, and I'll be done with you this morning. John chapter 8, we're going to look at three or four passages here. John chapter 8, verse 32. Actually, I should have went to John 14, 6 first. I've already repeated these words to you because I've memorized them. John 14, 6, but keep your finger in chapter 8. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Anybody that wants to get to the Father, that wants to get to the truth, that wants to receive life has to go through Jesus. They need that truth, and that truth in 8.32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. He is the embodiment of everything that is true. He is the embodiment of everything that is true. And in his believers, he's given that to us. Look with me in John chapter 14 again. Verses 15 and 16 and 17. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he is dwelling in you. Beloved, let me tell you something. The spirit of truth dwells in you. Truth is something that is not external to you. The belt of truth dwells in you, and you excite and use that belt of truth whenever you stand for what is true. Look at chapter 15, verse 26. Jesus repeats this three times. 14... Twenty-six. Sorry, I'm not going crazy. Fifteen twenty-six. This is the second repetition. When the helper comes, why does he help us? <laughs> Who does he help us against? He helps us against the lies, right? The spiritual lies of the enemy, the 
emotional hook that needs to be set for him to own you. But when he, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, he proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, but you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And we bear witness today because we have that same spirit of truth, and it's that witness, that sober-minded witness that we need to bear. Chapter 16 now, verse 12, Jesus says to his disciples this, I still have 1612, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He doesn't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That is that everything that was given to Christ has been given to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, we are the church who has the truth. We are the pillar and the ground of truth. The outside, the the lost of this world have no other tap to the truth but then through the church and through the words that the church has been given in holy writ and in scripture. One more passage, 1 John. It's almost a revelation. This is John writing again in his letter to the church. 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. This is the same spirits that Paul's talking about. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the demon horde, right? The ones that were thrown down with Satan. But test those spirits. How can you test those spirits? <laughs> test those spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false spirits or prophets or teachers have gone out into this world. The world's full of them. That's why the world looks like it does. That's why the, the world is an anxiety-ridden, angst, overrun, emotional mess. Because out in this world is a bunch of lies and false choices that leads to an emotional reaction that brings angst to anyone. Satan is the master deceiver. Verse 2, by this you know that this is how you understand the Spirit of God, the working of the truth. He is the one that is true. He is that helper. Every spirit that confesses Christ has come in the flesh and is from God. And the ones that don't confess Jesus are not from God. There's no middle ground here. They're either from God or they're not from God. And God is not a God of confusion, right? He's a God of order, as in all the churches of the saints. And lies cause confusion because they cause this chaos and this drama. This is the spirit, he says, of Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and it's now in the world already, little children, you are from God and you have overcome this mess. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Huh? That's our hope. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. Get this, verse 6. And I'll just end here. We are from God, beloved. We're the church. We're his saints that have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to this. By this, we know true spirits and false spirits. By this, we know truth and error. By this, we can live with the power of the Holy Spirit and overcome the anxiety and drama in the culture. Be the church that God needs us to be so that the culture that's dying 
can receive the Jesus that saved us. And oh, by the way, let me not fail to mention, this is the exact process by which you were saved. Remember the seven? A man who knows the truth came to this place. A man who lives the truth came to this place. A man who teaches the truth came to this place. He lived by faith, right? He was a fearless servant of God. He was the word of God. And he prayed in the spirit to God. There's got to be something bigger that you're attached to. Or you get drawn down into it and you can't help. The belt of truth, beloved. Girded about your loins. Gird it about your loins and go out into this world as a joyful warrior because truth will set them free because it set you and me free, right? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come to a close this day. I'm overwhelmed by the goodness of your word, the life that's in it, the life for us to live and be your church, to glorify you in this place and to minister to the hurt and the sick, and the sorrowing. Father, knowing that we were there, that we were in that place, that we'd made choices in our life, and the sin had over, overcome us, that we'd been, we'd been uh, taken by your enemy, that emotional hook had been set deep in us, and we could do nothing but sin. But then the truth came. The truth came, and the Spirit worked, and our heart was changed, and now we have a heart for others. Help us to be your church. Help us to love our neighbors. Help us to do what you've called us to do. And help us, in truth, to minister to those who are hurting. Thank you, Father, for the grace you give us to live this life. Thank you for the truth that is your Son, the personification of your Son, Jesus Christ. It dwells within us. All we need to do is use it so that we will not be overran by the lies of the enemy of this world. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if our men who are going to help me with the table this morning.